Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, Andrew Boyer on Twitter, at MMALOT. And this week, we're breaking down UFC Vegas 41, headlined by a light heavyweight scrap now between Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. Obviously, we saw the weigh-ins go down this morning. Uh, Paulo Costa was like one of the first 10 guys to weigh in, weighs in at 204.5. Does the whole smug wiping his hands after he fucking weighs in just you know, playing up to that heel character a little bit more. And I think kind of just sticking it to the UFC as well. But uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more once we get around to that specific matchup. Uh, and then there were a couple other spots that we we're looking at for the weigh-ins before, personally, I pull the trigger on anything. And we'll obviously talk about that as we go through the card as well. Um, shout out to everybody wishing your boy a happy birthday in the comment section. I can already see it. As I said on Twitter, the only thing I, I want as a gift, hit that like button. That's it. Hit that like, hit that subscribe. And then obviously my guest, I have his Twitter account in the description below. You guys can go over there and hit him with a follow over there on Twitter as well. So let's not waste too much more time. Let's just bring my guy in. Uh, I believe this is the second or third appearance he's going to be making on the Ultimate Wayne Show. And for good reason, because this is a sharp motherfucker. We got my guy sparring with reality, betting. His name is Luke. Luke, what's going on, brother? Happy to be here, bro. I, yeah, I think it's the the second time on the show. Looking forward to chopping up this card. We got 14 fights, a couple new recent announcements within the last two or three days. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I'm pumped. Hell yeah, let's fucking go. And normally, I, I, I don't usually drink on these types of podcasts, but <laughs> I got to do it. Today's a special occasion. I got to go with the Mango White Claw once again. So I'm going to pop that. You you sipping on anything for this? Or are you, you, you sober over there? Mr. Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple. You know, it's it's fr <laughs> it's Friday. Uh, it is your birthday, so I'm I'm gonna take that as an open invitation to maybe crack uh, crack a few uh, of my favorite Bush lattes <laughs> out there. <laughs> but what I will say though, bro, I did not know it was your birthday. Uh, happy birthday, bro! I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, I will say this: Bush brings back some memories because that was like my <laughs> legit first beer on college campus when I moved out and uh, went on residence. Uh, my my roommate just packed the fridge with bush and i'm like all right i guess we're fucking drinking bush uh do you have like a certain affinity for bush or something like that what's what's going on with the whole bush thing and and luke uh no it's just kind of when you come from the the midwest and uh kind of live in live in smaller town usa per se you know the the general light beer you know is the is the preferred beer choice you're you're not gonna you're not gonna hear your boy with a a ton of snobby ipa takes <laughs> and all this stuff Get, give, give me that bush latte for for 20 bucks case i love it we'll, we'll leave the ipas and all that extra shit for for quinn i know quinn yeah. is a fucking <laughs> yeah. fan of those things so we'll let him deal with that uh and i think you're correct in terms of the small town thing like my my roommate was like an hour north of thunder bay ontario which is thunder bay ontario is already butt fuck nowhere now you're talking about another hour and a half away so they're like yeah i guess it's just a a north american small town thing bush bush seems to be really prominent over there all right, uh, before we go over the 14-fight card, is there anything that just stands out to you on the card, like a fight that you're most excited about or something that you're kind of looking forward to, not even from a betting perspective, but more so from a fan perspective, right? Uh, obviously, the main event is highly touted at this point in time, but in terms of the rest of the 13-fight card, is there anything that pops out to you that you're like, I can't wait to watch this fight? Yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, Worthy and Herbert for as long as that one lasts. That should be an absolute banger. Uh, I'm a stand for the, for the baby shark. Uh, my girl Tabitha Ricci, she's coming back. Uh, I'm happy to see her fight. I'm actually really curious about this uh, David Onama guy who's coming in to fight Mason Jones because I think he's actually a you know a reasonably decent fighter. Um, so I'm curious to see how he kind of performs on that whole short notice nature. Um, 
Jesse Jess, we got her coming back. So yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting scraps. Absolutely. For me, it's got to be Brazak Obama going up against Jun Yung Park because I have absolutely no idea how that fight's going to go down. So I can't wait to break it down with you. But in terms of like a fight where we're picking out a certain outcome, this one could have any fucking outcome in that fight. So very much looking forward to seeing where your head's at with that. And then obviously I'll let you know where I'm at with uh, my thinking in regards to that fight. So let's not waste too much more time because I got a lot of weed to smoke later tonight. So let's just get through this fucking card. <laughs> First and foremost, we got Jonathan Martinez going up against Zviad Lazishvili. Uh, Lazarus really obviously stepping in on short notice here after uh, I'm trying to recall who it was that actually uh, it was Aaron Phillips. Aaron Phillips pulled out uh, and Zviad gets his UFC uh, contract here in terms of odds, uh, very much moving over the last couple hours. We saw Zviad actually open up around minus 170. He might even go off as the underdog once the fight actually kicks off. Now, um, I'll kick things off here. I'm actually a fan of the Jonathan Martinez side of things. Usually it's a little bit uh, scary betting against a 12-0 Georgian making his UFC debut. But once you actually dig into the nitty gritty of this thing, you kind of see that it's a little bit fabricated with the with the Zviad side, right? Uh, his first 10 fights, his fight, pretty much all of his fights leading up to his LFA debut going up against O&O guys. It seems like he was just going out there and he could get away with shooting lazy, uh, naked takedowns and actually, you know, close those takedowns and uh, secure those takedowns and then he'd be able to do work from on top. And then once he starts to actually have to work for it, like he kind of had to do in the Josh Huber fight a little bit later in that fight, he'd start to struggle with it. Uh, I think he's going to struggle here in terms of getting uh, Martinez down and even keeping him down. We've been seeing an improvement in Martinez's takedown defense, currently sitting at 66%, but I do believe that we'll see him actually, you know, kind of pick him apart from distance uh we've seen great hips on him too whenever guys try to shoot on him and i think that we'll see it actually come through here for him and then he should be able to i think uh he should be able to get him out of there probably in the third round of this fight the one interesting aspect about this fight that i found is that i think they accepted this fight with no qualms considering that josh huber is a teammate of jonathan martinez so they've already been game planning for a guy like lazarus vili in the past so they're like all right we already have the blueprint for this guy now we have a better fighter to go out there and carry this out so i think that they're way more confident in what they're getting with Martinez. So personally, I already jumped in on Martinez, uh, a unit and a half at plus 115. I think he is the side here. I think he should be the favorite as well. And uh, I just don't think that Elijah Vili is ready for this step up in competition. Last thing I'll say on that, I'll spring it on over to you. A couple of those fights on the regional scene for Elijah Vili was, uh, they had three minute rounds, which I found interesting. And there was one fight where he actually had to go into a second round and he was huffing a little bit. I won't say that, I, I won't lie about that. And even the, um, the, the LFA fight with Josh Schubert, you see him obviously start to slow down in that third round as well. So uh, I believe Martinez is the cardio to go out there and outwork him, has a takedown defense and the get-up ability to get back to his feet and nullify the grapple um, the grappling advantage that Zviad possibly has in this fight. And then I think he should torch him on the feet because I think it's night and day in terms of skills when we're talking about striking between these two guys. Uh, did I miss out on anything on this or am I not giving Lazishvili enough uh, love here? How do, how do you see this matchup going down? Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the main points. Like originally going into it, like I was familiar with uh, Lazishvili when the matchup was announced just because I'd kind of taped him a couple times back for his uh, LFA fights. And from what I remembered, you know, pretty strong wrestler, grappler, archetype, decent top game. Uh, and kind of going back and running through it, you touched on the fact that, you know, he's kind of been a, a bit of a can crusher for, for the large majority of his career, for lack of a better term. Uh, and even going back and watching that Huber fight, like, for a guy who comes from 
you know, at least a credentialed wrestling and grappling background. I think he's won championships over in some of the smaller Euros uh, in both capacities. In that Huber fight, you know, he was pretty content to stand and strike for extended minutes too. So it's not necessarily like he's the guy diving on legs for 15 minutes necessarily. And when you kind of put all that into the soup with Martinez, obviously Martinez has struggled on bottom in certain capacities, more so going back to his earlier uh, fights with Souk and uh, Waliji Burren. But even going back and watching those fights, I thought he made a pretty decent account of himself, especially in the Buren fight. Uh, a guy who I think comes from a, a Chinese wrestling champion based background. Uh, he was able to get Martinez down at multiple points in that fight, but Martinez was able to sweep reverse position, uh, land some takedowns of his own, do some decent work on top, actually win that fight uh, and be more effective. So I've honestly just been more bullish on Jonathan Martinez in recent years. I think if you've watched his overall career, I think you can clearly make clear uh, improvements in trajectory of where he was at before to where he is now. Uh, you touched on his takedown defense. I think his general hips, his ability to dig underhooks, dig a wider base has clearly improved. So I, I just don't really see necessarily the narrative of Lazarus Philly. Oh, he shoots takedowns. Martinez goes down. I, I don't think it's that simple at all here. I do think there is some merit to uh, Lazarus Philly. If he does get on top, we have seen, you know, Martinez play from guard. He is only a blue belt in jujitsu on paper. That needs to be noted. But when it comes to the striking in this matchup, like if you told me this is a 15 minute range kickboxing match, Martinez is probably 80, 85%. Uh, and that, I don't think many people would disagree with me there. So it really just comes down to, you know, how much takedown-based success he can have, how much control success can he find a submission. Uh, I guess I'm less optimistic about that, especially given the short notice nature as well, coupled with the fact that it's a very big step up in competition and fighting a battle-tested guy uh, in Jonathan Martinez. So at least in terms of like the line, I think they're is some just general recency bias with, you know, Martinez getting knocked out in his last fight, but that, you know, really has no translation of him getting knocked out by Davy Grant to Lazishvili because what we have seen on the feed from Lazishvili really isn't very pretty. He kind of plays the outside. Uh, he's lower volume. To be honest, he just doesn't really seem comfortable uh, when the fights are at space, if I can be candid. And we know Jonathan Martinez excels there. Went out there and won a 15-minute range kickboxing match with Thomas Almeida. You know, you can say what you want about Almeida. He was recently cut, but still, you know, a dangerous striker nonetheless in his own right who was a perennial KO artist and pegged to be a top 15 guy at one point. So you put all that into the soup and Jonathan Martinez at a plus number just doesn't really make much sense to me. I kind of think he's an auto bet. To be honest, at the price, depending on how, like what your confidence level interval is, you know, I'm not saying you got to play him for three, four units or anything, because as touched on, you know, there is merit to Lazarus Philly on the ground in this fight, but it's one of those spots I'd kind of more so just want to play into the general variance and, and get more questions answered on Lazarus Philly. If he deserves to be a favorite over Jonathan Martinez post-fight, great. I'm I'm fine to kind of lose, lose a few shillings on this, but if he's not, I think Jonathan Martinez has like very high favorite upside uh, in this matchup. Not to mention the fact that he actually uh, struggled to make 135 in his last bout. Looked fine on the scales today, so the weight cut was good for him. Uh, uh, I think the market coming in on Martinez makes sense. I jumped in at 116 personally. Uh, yeah, I like Martinez. I'm glad that you actually talked about the uh, the weight this morning. Obviously, it's the all three weigh-in show, so I sure brought it up. But the, the, he was definitely one of the fighters that I was waiting to actually see on the scale before I pulled the trigger. And luckily for us, he was able to make the weight. Didn't seem like with too much issue as well. So hopefully, he's able to go out there and uh, 
give us a solid account of himself as well. I do want to quickly shout out our guy, uh, Uncle Wheezy, in the chat right now, uh, talking more about Martinez's progression and how much better he's been getting. Uh, Martinez's uh, takedown defense has been 90% over his last five fights. And in terms of the nitty gritty, uh, he's had 10 in the last five fights, defended nine of them. Overall, his opponents are seven of 19 on takedowns against him. So you can see a bit of a uh, of an improvement there for him as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Lavinia. Oh, sorry. Uh, last thing I did want to say about that matchup, I did kind of, uh, I was waiting for this prop to drop. Uh, Martinez round three plus 1300. I got to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that. I, I love my round props. I do think that he'll get stronger as the fight goes on. And I think we'll see uh, Lazishvili start to slow down the later it goes, especially if the takedowns just are not coming and he just can't close the distance uh properly all right let's move on to the next fight like i said we got lavinia hanata souza going up against ronda marcos minus 120 on souza and plus 110 on marcos i'll let you kick this one off luke how are you feeling about this matchup between uh uh marcos 0-4 in the last four fights and then obviously souza who's been 2-2 and in her last four fights and a tremendous fall from grace especially from what we thought we were going to get when she came over from invicta how do you think this one goes down yeah, I put a gif out on Twitter earlier this week of like essentially like a tr all of us trying not to play Random Marcos this weekend. It was some stupid WWE gif yeah. with Santino. I but, saw that. Uh, that that's, a, that's just kind of how I feel about it because I do think Marcos is the side at plus money in this fight, but there is just such a long trajectory of her in her career just doing dumb stuff, to be completely <laughs> frank. And, you know... It was really validating actually pre Mackenzie Dern fight when I was going into it. I bet Randa Marcos against Mackenzie Dern, which hindsight looks, you know, <laughs> absolutely terrible. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll own it 100%. Uh, but she essentially said, you know, she does struggle with the mental part of the game that uh, this, this whole like, you know, warp of the MM MMA scene, you know, just kind of gets to her, you know, the whole trading of wins and losses, you know, what, what people's expectations of her, all that stuff gets to her. So automatically, like, I'm not a huge interview guy in general, but when I hear that a fighter, like audibly say, you know, I struggle with this. Well, that is just an automatic red flag uh, right off the top because I've had those suspicions over the years and then she said it and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. All right, uh, suspicions kind of confirmed. But nonetheless, obviously, you know, really bad UFC record, but to her credit, you know, she's been fighting perennial top 25, top 20 girls her entire run. And to be honest, I don't think she's a bad fighter. I, I really don't. I think she's actually reasonably well-rounded. Uh, it just comes down to some of the, the fight IQ and just some of the general girls that she's been fighting that haven't been overall favorable stylistic matchups for her. But in fighting Souza, she is a judo black belt. I think a black belt in jiu-jitsu as well. Her wrestling is, you know, decent, but I would say it's also like predictable. Like she kind of has to get those uh, jump in outside trips, uh, that type of stuff uh, from the body lock. If she doesn't, we kind of saw it in uh, her fight with Sarah Froda, where when, you know, those, take, those takedowns stopped coming about halfway through the fight, she was kind of almost like, you know, I I don't know what to do here. And a bit of a deer in the headlights. And even in uh, Sosa's last fight against Lemos, who we obviously know hits incredibly hard, very physical at the weight class. Even in the early parts of the fight before, you know, real exchanges happened, like she didn't even really seem like she wanted to be there, to be completely honest. So she just didn't seem present and her volume is generally inconsistent. You know, she had a really solid run in Invicta, beat some good girls. But, you know, that kind of hype that she came in with, I just don't really think has translated uh, to the UFC level as well. So 
I just think it's kind of one of the higher variance spots on the card. I could see either girl looking like a sizable favorite. I could see a pick them being uh, completely justified. I'm more so on the side of picking Marcos just because I think her general activity uh, is a bit more proven. She's obviously more battle-tested, fought the better girls, has fought even some of the better girls pretty competitively uh, in that right to boot where I think Souza probably has to land, you know, multiple takedowns, get extensive top time in this fight, potentially snag up a sub, which is definitely in play here, you know, 100%. But um, I do think Randa Marcos actually does get back uh, on the winning track, but not a confident take in any stretch of the imagination. Say what you want about Alex Chambers, but the fact that Lavinia Souza was minus 1,200 in her UFC debut against her just lets you know how uh, high of expectations people actually had of Souza. But again, since that fight, I believe she's gone two and two and has looked you know, abysmal at this point. You touched on the Lemos fight a little bit in terms of she didn't even look like she wanted to be in there. Like It looked like a complete mismatch as soon as the fight started because it seemed like Souza was just... You know, she already knew she was going to lose a striking battle. And the fact that she was not able to get the fight to the ground was just like, okay, I'm fucked pretty much. And she goes out there and gets pummeled uh, pretty quickly there by, by Lemos. Uh, in regards to Randa Marcos, I have a quick funny story in regards to her. Uh, I worked her fight. I think it was her second or third pro fight for Rec MMA when she fought Ashley Nichols. And I had to go purchase a pregnancy test for her because she had a little bit of a scare in terms of with her uh, pre-fight medicals and all that type of stuff. So you see me like right after weighing running over to shoppers drug bar trying to find fucking uh pregnancy tests and then coming back to the fucking venue and giving it to her and luckily she was good to go uh but yeah that, that's one of my small funny stories about random marcos but the thing about her back then was she was mainly a grapple fucker right she was able to go out there and impose her will against her opponents and she really didn't have any striking and you can almost say she just still doesn't have much striking but it's just her activity and her volume that kind of compensates for the lack of technical abilities that she has in her striking uh and i think that's she's really developing it now, the interesting part is before the Luana Pinedo fight, she pretty much picked up everything from her, you know, Michigan, Windsor area that she was at and moved down to Texas to go train at uh, the Michael Jordan of MMA or jiu-jitsu, uh, Travis Luter's gym down there. And uh, it just goes to show that she really wants to round out that part of her game because she feels like it's the weakest part of it. Like, sure, she can get fighters to the ground, but if she's not able to do anything with the jiu-jitsu, then what's the point of it, right? Um, I'd be kind of surprised if she looks to you know, tussle on the ground with Souza in this spot. So I don't know what she was really thinking in terms of sticking around at the gym, although she must have found some sort of comfortability in terms of being there. Um, I, I agree with you. If Souza is not able to ground this fight, I think if this stays a 50-minute kickboxing fight, I think the uh, activity of Marcos has to be favored in this spot. It's not like Souza is this crazy one-punch KO artist or anything like that, nor is it like she's some crazy technical monster in terms of striking. And then add into the fact that she has questionable cardio, you got to believe that Marcos got to be the side in this spot. Now, Souza could tap into that potential that we believe that she had a couple years ago and really turn turn it over on us here. Uh, but with that said, I, I just don't feel comfortable playing a 10 and 11 woman uh, against somebody that we had high expectations for in the past. I know their trajectories might be different at this point in time, but I still believe that Marcos is the side, but you, 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 can't, you can't force me to play Marcos at this point in time, right? Like talk about fight IQ issues, right? The Kenzie Dern fight like all week I am not going to play in her guard I'm not going to follow her to the ground and the first opportunity she gets she follows this bitch to the ground so I I'm not trusting her I need to see her make legitimate improvements on a fight-to-fight -fight basis before I can trust her once again but in terms of you know this spot here with her as a slight dog gotta believe that she's the value side and uh, I'd be surprised if she even gets the finish so if you want to get cute with it and go for a, a prop uh Marcos by decision at plus 145 is not too bad either
All right, let us keep this train moving along. Next up, we got Jeff Molina going up against Daniel Da Silva, uh, previously known as Daniel Lacerda. Now he's going with De Silva, so whatever. Yeah, you can pick and choose your names as you please, apparently. Uh, but I will not be doing it for somebody that's in the Coleman event, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but in terms of the odds here, we are looking at minus 150 for Jeff Molina and plus 130 the return on Daniel De Silva. I'll kick this thing off. Uh, th this should be a crazy fight for as long as it lasts, in my opinion. Daniel De Silva just shows no caution, like no, no sense of trying to uh be smart let's just put it that way right like he goes out there he just fucking throws reckless abandon at his opponents uh more often not coming out on the winning side 11 and 1 his only loss coming due to i believe a shoulder injury so let's give him a, a mulligan there and just say the guy's undefeated at this point in time but again sketchy level of competition gotta believe that jeff molina is the best striker that he's been going up against at this point um I like the violence bet here. I actually took the under two and a half. Uh, I believe it's plus 118 is what I got on it. Um, the fact that's, that it's even plus money and we have the variable like Daniel Da Silva, I, I got to take the shot here, especially with Jeff Molina's willingness to kind of engage in dogfights at times. I do think that it creates uh, finishing opportunities for both guys. I do like the Molina side. Obviously, you got to go with the guy that's technically better more a little bit more discipline and probably will be more defensively sound especially compared to what De Silva brings to the table and then in terms of props man plus 500 on Jeff Molina by KO I think is a great line especially considering I, I believe there's going to be so many opportunities uh for that uh, that KO to hit here um last thing I'll say the the, the face-offs kind of again I don't like to read into the narrative too much but like I'm not sure if you saw the face-off between De Silva and Molina like he's a De Silva's just chirping at him just saying come at me come at me bro that just lets you know the guy's probably going to go in there and just continue to fight the way that he's been normally fighting on his regional regional tape so I, I think with those guys they're just going to continuously do that until they take an L and then they'll look to kind of change the game and adjust the game uh but here, man, I, I think he's outgunned against Molina. He could catch Molina early here. Don't get me wrong, which is why I'm taking the under two and a half rather than the Molina side. Uh, but I do think it will be Molina eventually that gets that KO. So uh, the pick is Molina. The bet is the under two and a half. Uh, how, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Am I off in the violence spot here? How do you see this one going? Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. It's hard to make like a definitive read on the fight just because the tape on De Silva is so limited. Um but in what I've seen, he kind of falls into the kind of kitchen sink Brazilian category, I would call it, where, you know, you know, black belt in jiu-jitsu, but we'll let it just kind of fly on the feet because he's not worried about being taken down. Obviously shown power components, but his strength comp on the regionals hasn't been very good. Uh, I definitely think there's more merit to Molina just based on general strength of competition, uh, just has faced a bit more adversity, shown that he can... Uh, perceivably handle it in that capacity so i do think he's the better fighter but to your point i actually do think the under two and a half is the way i would go about it as well rather than laying it with molina necessarily just with the questions answered i just think based on the archetype of De silva and how he fights it's going to force action it's going to force exchanges it's going to force uh finishing sequences and molina you know will let it fly on the feet and you know the ground is still uh, just generally questionable for both based on the current matchup too. So I do think we can see finishing sequences here. So I guess I'd be more inclined to uh, take more of a, I don't want to say an unknown, but in some capacities, an unknown flyer just based on on plus money-based value and what should be a higher action fight uh, where both guys have shown finishing competency uh, in the past and obviously some defensive issues on both sides to boot. So uh, yeah, I think you're you're on a on a decent angle there, bro. 
I know a lot of people enjoy the James Krause narrative. Whenever he's in the corner of a lot of fighters, people seem a little bit more confident. I believe he's going to be in the corner of three fighters on this 14-fight slate. So uh, Jeff Molina being the first of them, if I'm not mistaken. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jay Herbert going up against Kama Worthy. In terms of odds, we are currently looking at, at minus 175 for Herbert, plus 155, plus 160 is the return on Kama. Uh, Luke, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. How do you think this one goes down? I think it's definitely very volatile just based on how both guys fights. I, I think, you know, Herbert has like a 90% finish rate in his W's. Her um, Worthy has a 75% finish rate in his W's. Both guys have been finished in all their pro losses. Uh, obviously, we have a, a decently long track record to say that Kama Worthy isn't exactly the most durable uh, fighter in the world. And there's definite components to suggest that he's fragile. And I think that's that's you know, largely grounded at this point. Obviously, Herbert's been dinged, hurt, knocked out before too. Uh, I just think the the dynamic of the fight, I do think Jai Herbert is the better fighter. I think his pace is just a bit more consistent. You know, he's consistently probably struggled on the ground uh, more so than anything, despite being knocked out in two of his three pro losses. But Worthy isn't really a guy coming out here, diving on legs, shooting a bunch of takedowns. I know he subbed Luis Pena. Um, but that was kind of memey, if we're being completely honest, uh, all things considered. So I don't think that was like overtly predictive by uh, by many people. So uh, just in general, I think it's a okay spot for Herbert. But nonetheless, I still have massive defensive issues with him and both guys. And what I will say, at least in, in regards to Worthy, he is fast. He's technical. He has a lot of power. Uh, him knocking out. Herbert would be far from shocking, uh, in my opinion, just based on some of the kind of the reckless nature that Herbert brings. So I don't really uh, want to back aside here, even though I do think Herbert is the better fighter overall. I think just backing general fight-based violence uh, is is a great angle for this fight. Uh, this fight hitting the cards would be very non-predictive, in my opinion. It would be both guys staring at each other, which there isn't much evidentiary basis to suggest that that will be the case. It would be Worthy potentially wrestling Herbert to extend minutes in this fight. Once again, not a strong evidentiary based case. Uh, so we should see some fun exchanges. I like someone to go out. It's most likely uh, worthy, but I, I think he is live in this fight just based on the dynamic of how it is in his style, giving hypothetically on paper, uh, Herbert giving him his most best opportunity to succeed as he has historically. So uh, I, I'd rather just go a violence route. I like that as well. Your fellow club and sub earlier this morning did put out the prop comma worthy via KO at plus 380. So I feel like that definitely has some meat on the bone there in terms of if you guys believe that he'll find the chin of Herbert. And that is exactly my kind of uh, worry here as well in terms of backing Herbert. He is the better fighter, better technical striker, better with the output, pretty much better everywhere. But lacking with that striking defense is just a little bit too much of a worry for me and talk about going through the ringer in your first two ufc fights francisco trinaldo in a you know kind of back and forth back and forth this fight and then obviously trinaldo finishing him in the third round and then hanat moicano possibly the worst stylistic matchup you can have for jay herbert uh so hopefully you know they're kind of teeing him up here against a guy like kamal worthy but he still needs to you know go out there and perform to the best of his abilities uh not make any mistakes because one little slip up he's probably staring up at the lights um i do like the jay herbert side of things i do think he can get the finish as well i think he might play a little bit disciplined early in this fight just because he probably knows his job is on the line you know what i mean so maybe that that 
first round, plays a little bit more defensively sound, and then starts to open up a little bit more in the second and third rounds, which is where I think he'll more than likely be able to get the finish. Uh, so yeah, I, I like the Herbert side of things, but I do uh, I do agree with Luke here in terms of playing the violence. My my issue is and my qualm is that the over under set at one and a half. Uh, you know, I want it to be two and a half. To be honest, I know it is a little bit juicy at minus two thirty. If you guys have that uh, have access to that alternate uh, total, but I think I think it's worth a little bit of the juice there, considering how these guys fight. Uh, even the fight doesn't go to decision minus three fifty. But again, let, let's just save those two and a half extra minutes and go with the uh, under two and a half. But uh, Herbert inside the distance plus one hundred. Wish we got a little bit better of a line there as well, but still, I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome out of the two guys here. I'm not big on Kama Worthy myself, and when he was able to uh, submit Luis Pena the way that he did, I, I almost uh, smashed my head through the wall because I can't believe that actually fucking happened. But managed to get a little bit of that money back after uh, Otman Azatar round one KO plus 250 or whatever it was. So I had to make sure I got my money back on that. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Loriano Staropoli going up against Jamie Pickett and Kermit Vaz were currently looking at minus 210 for Staropoli plus 190 for Jamie Pickett. Underwhelming fight here, right, Luke? Like very, like, I, I don't, I don't really have too much of a, a emphatic statement on either side here. Like Sarapoli minus 200 against anybody is very questionable to begin with. Jamie Piggott could be one of those guys where everybody's kind of just overlooking him and he just squeaks out a decision in this spot. So I don't want to be overly exposed on the Sarapoli side of things, even though I'm expecting him to go out there and win. How does he win? You know, distance striking, staying on the outside. I, I know he's going to be at a nine inch reach disadvantage, but given his flashy and kind of, you know, um, unorthodox style of striking i think he'll be able to close that distance without too much issue and again jimmy pickett not too big of a you know power puncher he's not really deading guys with one punch or anything like that so i don't think star poly has too much to worry about that my concern here is though if pickett decides to put his strength and his and his and his uh, clinch work to use i think if he just uh you know uh, grinds up against star poly either tries to drag him to the ground make this a close quarters fight where he kind of overpower him which i think he'll have the advantage in uh but if he decides to go out there and have a kickbox fight for 15 minutes on the outside i don't think it's going to go that well for him i understand the the value thing on the picket side here like considering he's plus 185 against a guy like star poli but i just can't pull the trigger on a guy like that man he, there's so many fights where he just allows his opponent to kind of dictate the pace and allow them to kind of just do what they want to do you know there, there's two fights where he kind of just took matters into his own hands that i that stands out to me as of recently his jonathan patty fight on the contender series where he's able to notch the contender series uh contract and then against jordan wright for some reason going for a desperation takedown no idea why maybe he respected the power of jordan wright a little bit too much and then he just opened himself up to travis brown style elbows which ended up uh, leading to the finish there for jordan wright so i, I do like uh Sarapoli, but not by much man i think the only way to really play this fight I'd be kind of surprised if there is uh, a finish. So the over two and a half minus two twenty five, a little bit juicy, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is just a slow paced, you know, either distance striking fight or guys trying to battle each other for position in the clinch. Uh, but I do end up on the star poly side, ever so slightly. Am I putting my money on it? Fuck no, Luke. How do you feel about this one? You you more convicted on either side? Uh, I wouldn't say conviction necessarily. I don't have a play on the fight, but actually I do think it's a decent spot for Staropoli, to be honest. I just don't think there's a ton of parallels in Pickett's game per se that have given him troubles historically. Obviously, we saw uh, Staropoli kind of get grinded on by uh, Delize, just not overtly. You know, Pickett isn't necessarily the guy diving on legs, shooting a ton of takedowns overall. Um so I don't think there's much merit to that, but still, nonetheless, it's it's very concerning that fight for me, particularly that 
he just really couldn't fight hands in that fight at all. He could not break the body lock. He could not get off the cage. Uh, so just that in and of itself does have some concern with me, even though I don't think it translates much to pick it. But what I will say for Staropoli, you know, he's fought some pretty tough guys uh, in his run, you know, fighting the dirty bird and, and Tim Means fight, fights uh, Muslim Salikov, two guys that aren't particularly easy to look good against, at least in regards to Tim Means, you know, perennial top 15 fringe type of guy. Um, got dinged in that fight, was able to actually recover pretty quickly and, and you know, uh, defend hooks there too. Uh, I think he does play the range game better. And the issue I more so have with Pickett is that he kind of just, despite being a longer guy, he falls into what I would classify as the uh, Maurice Green syndrome, uh, a long guy who just does not use their reach effectively at all. They they don't they don't know how to fight behind a jab. They don't really know how to to stick and move and do that consistently. Guys can come in on them. They can hit them uh, with consistency. You know, we saw Tefan and Chukwe, I think, land like 120 significant strikes on him. Uh, he just didn't have much of an answer. He could not play that outside type of game. Uh, I think Staropoli can get inside here. He's proven to be very durable historically. I referenced the means fight where he did get hit with the head kick, but immediately recovered, popped back up, was defensively cognizant. Uh, so I don't think a picket uh, KO is very live, and I just haven't really seen the tools for him to to suggest that he can just outfight or outpoint, outstrike Staropoli at range, uh, in my opinion. But for a lot of the points you mentioned, you know, am I trying to lay you know minus two forty on the guy? Not really, just because he hasn't proven to be a historic power threat, at least in terms of the UFC, even though I think he does have some pop. I do think he's the better fighter here. I do think it's a decent spot for him on paper, but uh, uh, it's a pass for me. Uh, it's interesting that you call it the Maurice Green syndrome when there's and a clearly more obvious uh, range fighter that had no idea how to use his fucking uh, reach with fucking Stefan Struve. Like I, you know, I think widest uh, reach in the UFC still has no idea, you know, 12, 13, 14 years into his UFC career, how to do that. I love how his, uh, the Marcos Hadrero de Lima fight, literally the first thing that happened, he clips it with an overhead right and drops it and still somehow goes out there and loses the fucking fight. But, uh, God damn, I'll miss watching Stefan Struve fights. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Baby Shark, Tabitha Ricci, finally fighting in her legitimate weight class out of 115 pounds, welcoming Maria Oliveira to the UFC. Now, most people will remember Oliveira for actually being on the Contender Series where Marina Rodriguez actually ate her up and finished her pretty quickly in that fight. But since then, has been able to put together a couple of decent wins. Uh, she did fight over there and risen a couple of times as well. Uh, but I think that in the UFC, she might have her work cut out for her. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Luke, I'm actually going to swing it on over to you. I'll let you start this breakdown off you know i know you're a big baby shark fan so have at it yeah i apologize i didn't i didn't bring up my, my my shark hat tonight my my fin i don't got my fin on her but no i'm a i'm i'm a i'm a, a reachy truther i've been a reachy truther for a while obviously homegirl had a a tough draw in her debut short notice up a weight class obviously against a very big 125 uh in man in Firo. so it was a pretty tall task uh, for her there. She obviously got butchered. So I think that's probably what, uh, you know, the majority of, you know, more casual or even recent fans will probably remember her as and be like, why in God's name is Tabitha Reach, you know, uh, this big of a favorite over home, uh, home girl Oliveira 
it's 100% justified in my opinion. I think it's a great spot uh, for the baby shark here. Uh, the levels on the ground here are gigantically massive. Ricci, you know, black belt, judo, jiu-jitsu, been one of the main training partners of Mackenzie Dern for the better part of five years. Uh, obviously, Dern, you can say what you want about her, but probably the best female submission grappler, you know, outside of weight class in all of females to be completely honest. So, you know, to, to be working with that girl for over five years, I think they're paying some credence. She was a Muay Thai champ in Brazil. However, I do think her striking is still developing. It's still a little bit green. Uh, that needs to be noted, but, uh, I just really haven't seen much from Oliveira to suggest that she's going to give Ricci an overt amount of troubles. Uh, you know, she's okay at range. I'd say she's serviceable, but her level of competition has been crazy bad. I think uh, her her combined strength of comp and her Ws is like 8 and 17 uh, back on the Brazilian regional. So, you know, beating a bunch of soccer moms over there doesn't. <laughs> Uh, doesn't doesn't give me uh, a ton of confidence. And then obviously, given the stylistic matchup of Ricci being very strong on the ground, the times we have seen Oliveira on bottom, it has not been good. Uh, she's consistent to get controlled. She's consistent to get passed, get put in dominant positions, uh, and eventually pounded on and submitted as well. Uh, it, it's kind of one of those fights I want to reference my boy, John, uh, that you do your prop show with every week from the club and sub. You know, he kind of turned me on to this uh, credo uh, I would say is that grappling is binary. Uh, and as yes. basic as that sounds, it's very true, especially at, at the lower levels of WMMA or MMA in general, you either can do it or you can't. And if you can't, Good it's going to be rough for you and you're probably <laughs> going to get finished and you're going to get submitted. And I feel like this fight falls into that type of archetype here. Uh, the levels on the ground are massive. You know, I don't think Ricci is some, um, powerhouse you know pure mma wrestler per se but she's very strong from the body lock with that judo background i've seen her hit some doubles as well uh i don't see her having much issue in taking Oliveira down and once this fight gets on the mat uh you know i i think it's night over for Oliveira. and even on the feet i don't think like Ricci screwed or anything by any means she's aggressive she comes forward she throws a lot of strikes uh as we know at this level of wmma aggression output is king that's what wins fights in the stand-up here uh, i just don't think i've seen enough from Oliveira to say that she can just kind of play a pick uh pitter patter stick and move type game or even that she really like plays the bully you know per se in her fights where she could like duplicate you know a man and fiero type performance i think that would be um not overtly predictive as well so i think Fior uh, i'm sorry ricci should be like 75 80 percent in this spot i think uh, her money line has value. I think her inside the distance at plus money is a, a great bet as well. I wouldn't get too cute with the TKO. I wouldn't get too cute with the sub. Just because she has scored finishes via ground and pound before. Uh, I've also gotten burned on, on the sub props before on these type of archetypes where, uh, especially in female fights where a girl has dominant advantages on the ground, they decide not to take the submission route, pound her out. I lose on the sub prop when there was clear ITD uh line base value and you can cover more bases so uh reachy by however she wants in my opinion i like it i like it and in uh just to add to that point of yours where you're talking about just don't get too greedy with it just take the inside of the distance perfect example is last week ariana carlosi everybody thinks she's going to win by knockout she goes out there and pulls off a submission at plus 1200 so taking the inside of the distance is more than likely the the safest route here especially with how much success she should have on the ground now when i started taping this fight specifically the Oliveira said i started i went back and watched the uh Alyssa garcia fight that was the first one that i watched and i kind of know Alyssa a little bit in terms of like what she's about she trains under josh barnett um you know wrestling is kind of her background and she was able to hit that first takedown without much issue 
but she almost had no success in terms of keeping her on the ground. And then she just got absolutely butchered on the feet. So it gave me a little bit of pause at first. Then you start watching, you know, when she's fighting legitimate competition, that's where Oliveira starts to fall short, right? The Marina Rodriguez fight, the Kana Asakura fight. Um, you know, the, there's so many fights where as soon as she gets grounded, more than likely she's going to get finished. Uh, Asakura was so close to finishing her in that first round, but managed to get her back into that position in the second round and got the finish shortly thereafter. Um, for me, I feel as though I want to see Ricci kind of prove her her wrestling a little bit more, although I do believe that uh, she will be able to ground this fight. Um, I absolutely agree with pretty much every single point that you said, though. As soon as this fight hits the ground, she should pretty much have her way. She has great top control. She she transitions very well. She looks... She's... I'd say she's more position over submission or position over finish, if you want to say that. But once she gets that position, she really fucking goes for it. And I feel like she's uh, those openings are going to be there for her, especially with a girl like Oliveira, who just doesn't seem that good on the ground. Right? I mean, I know she trains out of the same gym as Carol Hosa, Jessica Andrade and all that. But, you know, none of that's going to matter when she gets into the cage and gets taken down by a very high-level uh, jiu-jitsu player here in Tabitha Ricci. Now, the one kind of counterpoint I've been seeing for Tabitha Ricci, she's only 5-1, and one, uh, and she took like a six-year layoff uh, from MMA, but she did compete in some sort of uh, custom rules type of thing over there in Japan where she lived over there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, she lived with Yulia Stoliarenko, and they both did the same thing, where it's kind of like MMA, but you're only allowed 30 seconds on the ground if you get a takedown. Um, so she was competing, and I believe she only ended up losing one fight over there uh, out of about eight or nine of them. So she put together a pretty good record there. She was staying busy. It's not like she was just sitting on the shelf for six months or, or six years, uh, nor was it like she was just sitting on the shelf doing strictly jiu-jitsu competitions. She was doing like as close to MMA as you can get without doing doing MMA. So I think her six or five-in-one record is a little bit misleading i think she has way more experience than that actually indicates and i think we'll see that play true here this weekend against Oliveira. so uh yeah i like the inside the distance like you said that was one of my uh, one of my three best props that i dropped on the prop and you up show this uh this morning plus 140 is the last time that i saw and that still think he has tremendous value and i think you're right uh, i think out of all the chalky plays on this card uh she's probably the best one uh to go out there and secure this victory all right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Mason Jones taking on short notice David Onama. Um, David Onama, obviously a James Krause product, stepping in on short notice uh, to take on Mason Jones here. Uh, interesting fight because you got Mason Jones automatically up there at minus, uh, what is he at, minus 380 now, minus 400 is what we can see. Um, interesting stylistic matchup. From tape, it looks like Onama's... Uh, a distant striker. He likes to stay at distance and just kind of get his shots off from the outside. Uh, luckily for him, he's kind of been the beneficiary of uh, favorable matchups. You know, you know what I mean? Like all of his wins or all of his fights have been in that Kansas area, Kansas City area. Uh, I believe K KFAC or KFC, uh, KCFA, I believe it's called, uh, and FAC. Those are the two promotions that he fought for. FAC, if I'm not mistaken, is a James Cross promotion as well. So you got to believe that they're kind of looking for favorable matchups. Although that Justin Overton fight, he was getting taken down with relative ease. However, luckily for him, Overton had nothing from on top, no real top control, and was able to, uh, Onama was able to get multiple reversals in that fight and end up on top and do some good work from on top. However, if Mason Jones decides to go out there and take this fight to the ground, I think he's going to have much more success than what we saw Justin Overton have. Um, I think he's a much better jiu-jitsu player. Uh, I believe brown belt in jiu-jitsu, black belt in judo. Uh, he brings a lot of good things to the table. Very durable as well, obviously, as we saw for that Mike Davis fight. Um, so I'd be surprised if Onama knocks him out here. I, I think the line is kind of accurate. 
So I don't really see the need to really play it here, but I could see Onama kind of like pulling it off too, man. It, it, he does have the possibility of sniping him from the outside. Again, historically speaking, Mason Jones has a good chin, but if he's overlooking this guy, even in the slightest bit, I think he could pay for it. So in, in terms of props, like, Mason Jones could absolutely get this done inside the distance if he goes with the grab. I have the approach, in my opinion. But at minus 135, you know, I wish we got a, a little bit of a plus number there. But for the Onama side, uh, Onama by KO, plus 530. If you think he has any shot, I think that's his really only way to win this fight. I think he's KO or bust in this situation. And I think that Mason Jones will survive that um, uh, the, the striking here, eventually drag this fight to the ground. And even in the striking realm, to be honest, I think he could be competitive enough. I think it's it's not like a wash by any means that Onama's going to automatically knock this out or knock him out if he's not able to get the takedown. Uh, but I think the safest route for Mason would be to go for the takedowns because I think it's it's going to be completely night and day from what we saw in the Overton fight and what we're going to be seeing this week. And if Jones goes out there and tries to grapple, fuck him, and eventually lead to a finish. So I like Jones. Jones by finish. Odds a little bit weird for me to, to, to truly back here. How do you feel about this one? I know you didn't have anything ready for your, your show on Wednesday. Were you able to kind of uncover anything since then, though? Yeah, I was able to dig a bit more into Onama. What I will say, honestly, I, to your point, I don't think the guy is is bad, you know, at all. I, you know, undefeated as a pro, undefeated as an amateur. Uh, to your point, you know, he seems like a pretty decent athlete, fast, explosive, has power. Uh, but to your point, uh, Strength competition, pretty, pretty low, which needs to be noted in Mason Jones, even when he was fighting back on the regionals, you know, he's winning cage warriors titles against, you know, at least more battle tested, proven guys over an, in a reputable promotion over there, which needs to be noted. Uh, I think the main credence for a potential upset in Onama is that Mason Jones's striking defense is still pretty poor. Um, to your point. I think we definitely got some durability questions answered on him, though, in that capacity and fighting a guy in Mike Davis, who's a very good boxer who hit him in the face a lot. Uh, and he did not go down in that fight at all. So I just feel like the primary win condition, to your point, is probably at an AMA KO. But once again, I think that's also very, very limited based on the Mike. If my I don't want to try to sound like I'm wiki capping it, but if Mike Davis can't, <laughs> if Mike Davis can't knock him out, I don't really see Onama knocking him out being overtly high percentage. Then you touched on the ground. You know, Jones is kind of one of these, you know, new aged MMA type guys, you know, young kid kind of grew up doing the, the whole gambit of stuff, obviously very strong wrestling background, very good from top position, even when he's been taken down, he's got a really good butterfly guard, good top game, ground and pound submission game. Uh, I believe Onam is only a blue belt in jujitsu. I think he just got his blue belt. Like I think in like the last 12 months or so, the levels on the ground here are, are very, very massive. And just generally Jones is much more proven on the feet. So I think minus 400, him about 80% is about accurate. Uh, obviously, we've seen Onama take some money around the earlier line when you, I think Jones opened around like, you know, minus 600, minus 700. We saw, you know, some of the market take some pokes on Onama, and I get it uh, from some perspective at that level. What I will say, though, is if Onama gets some more love and, and, and you're giving me Mason Jones around like minus 300, I think I'm going to lay it because in my opinion, he's just the better fighter. And we've seen these short notice archetypes. It traditionally in the aggregate just does not go well. Uh, you don't have a full training camp. Most likely your gas tank isn't going to be good. Not to mention just the gigantic step up 
uh, in competition here. So, I mean, you give me Mason Jones minus 300 on the money line. Uh, I'm probably willing to lay it. Uh, I think him playing him inside the distance uh, is interesting as well as just the general adversity that Onama has faced has been very little. And we know the type of pace and pressure in both realms that a Mason Jones pushes. So we're going to see how Mr. Onama reacts in the, those scenarios. Good point in regards to the uh, short notice guys, especially in this COVID era, not really working out for them. The only one that really comes to mind in terms of being able to pull off a win was Justin James, where he was able to charge Frank Camacho. <clears throat> However, we knew, he knew his only way to win this fight was just crash forward, try to get that knock in, try to get try to get out of there as soon as possible. I wonder if David Onama is going to try to take that similar approach. I'd be surprised considering that's not really his style, but given all the circumstances surrounding this fight, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and tries to do that. And again, very tough task to try and knock out a guy like Mason Jones, who just seems to eat everything and keep moving forward. Uh, shout out to my guy, Mushroom here. Is this the new start time for the show? Uh, we are doing it earlier today uh, due to it being my birthday. And I want to get fucked up as soon as possible. So I want to be as <laughs> as aware as possible while doing the stream, while chugging my white claw over here. But I still want to go out there and have some fun tonight. So the normal start time of 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, it should return to that next week. I do actually have a very special guest next week. Uh, and last thing I'll say about the start time of the show, <clears throat> it's, if I have a big name guest on the show, it's going to be kind of catered towards their schedule. Not all of them can be up till 9 p.m. Eastern and then break down a fight with me for fucking an hour, an hour and a half. So I always give these guys the opportunity, you know, let me know. It's either between the, as soon as the weigh-ins end, up till nine o'clock. That's kind of when I like to start the show. But nine o'clock will normally be the start time unless otherwise told. So, there you go, Mushroom. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Junior Park going up against Gregory Rodriguez. Um, just like I said at the top of the show, the fight that I am most confused about, and luckily in terms of the order of breaking down fights, Luke, you're up first, man. We got minus 120 on Gregory Rodriguez and plus a 100-ish on Junior Park. Who do you like in the spot? Well, I'm glad you kind of said that so I don't feel like a complete idiot because <laughs> because I pretty much said that in my in my Patreon breakdowns as well uh, out of this entire 14 fight card this is the one I have probably the most question marks on uh and it's interesting because I've actually always been more of a park truther. I think the guy's a, a bit underrated uh in general. I think he brings generally a, a pretty well-rounded skill set. You know, he's high output on the feet. He moves pretty well. Uh, you know, he's shown some some offensive wrestling competency, a decent top game. However, he has been submitted in his last couple losses, which needs to be noted and definitely interesting for this matchup. Um, and historically, I've actually been lower on Gregory Rodriguez. I did bet Dusko uh, in his debut over him. And my opinion on him has changed quite a bit. I, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm like willing to completely jump ship over to uh, the Rodriguez side now based on, you know, just general overall historics in one fight, just because I'm not willing to do that. But nonetheless, him going out and doing what he did to Dusko was crazy, crazy impressive to me to go out there and out volume that type of dude. His defense looked much better. His general cognizance uh, of being present, his movement. Obviously, there were some durability concerns on him going forward. We know Dusko can crack. Um he made Dusko swing, swing and miss a lot. And quite frankly, he just outclassed a guy in Dusko who uh, I think is a pretty decent fighter, uh, in my opinion. So to go out there and do that in your debut, I think needs to be given uh, hella props. You know, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu uh, as well. So uh, obviously I have a lot of question marks in this fight, whereas if this fight's standing, I think there's some potential merit to to Park just winning a volume-based decision of uh, outpointing him, just kind of sticking and moving, doing that type of game. However... I do think there is 
physicality, power, and general optical base considerations for Rodriguez that favor him on the feet here of landing the bigger shots, just doing more, uh, being competitive on strikes too. Like I said, I do think he's kind of just the better athlete. He's a very big guy uh, at 185 to boot. And the ground is very interesting as well because like as touched on, you know, Parks had, you know, success on the ground uh, offensively in the past too. But we haven't seen, you know, too many guys, you know, really look to shoot and, you know, actively shoot takedowns on Rodriguez. He is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so I'm curious to see if if Park is really going to try to go and, and you know, and play in that role. Maybe he's confident and says, you know, I'm fine uh, and is willing to test his luck there. Once again, it's hard to say, though, even if he does do that, we just haven't seen a ton uh, of Rodriguez on bottom. Conversely, as touched you know, Park has been submitted in his last couple losses as well, and on paper, at least, Rodriguez is perceivably the better grappler. Once again, though, not a guy who's known to dive on legs for 15 minutes necessarily either. So you kind of put all of that into the soup, and it just gives you <laughs> a ton of question marks for me personally. I am going to actually go Rodriguez. I do think uh, this fight goes over, and I actually think that's probably the better play for the fight. It definitely is probably going to be sweaty uh, at some points, as I think we're going to see some bigger exchanges. But... Um, that's how I'd go about it more so than backing aside. I'd rather just back the over on, on the total. Uh, personally, as Park just historically isn't like a perennial big hitter, one punch type of guy where, you know, we've seen, you know, that that give Rodriguez some issues in the past where he's more of a, a volume attritional based striker. So I, I'd rather cover more bases and uh, just go anti-violence and go with the over. I think both of these guys are kind of the victim of being thrown under the bus as soon as they lose one of their fights, right? Which is New Park, he ended up losing that Anthony Hernandez fight. People didn't really expect him to come out there and and have as much success as he's had since then, especially against Stefan and Chukwi, where he went off as a as a slight underdog in that fight. And then on the Gregory Rodriguez side, I remember hearing a lot about that dude before he made his contender series uh, fight, and then obviously gets knocked out by Jordan Williams, which in hindsight looks like the craziest fucking you know result of all time. But uh, uh, yeah, now both these guys going out there getting solid wins under the record, especially with their last fights. <clears throat> excuse me and now people have this renewed level of confidence in either one of them however i feel it's more so on the gregory rodriguez side as junior park excuse me on the surface doesn't really seem to be that guy that is super threatening right because i feel like he's almost good everywhere like he has good cardio good output <coughs> excuse me um good durability um you know maybe not so much on the on the jujitsu side so i'd be very um Interested to see if Gregory actually looks to try to expose that, you know, seeing the amount of submission losses on Park's record, if he's going to go out there, try to shoot takedowns and try to grind them out and eventually open up a submission for himself. But in part, that kind of just uh, throws out there the possibility that he could start to huff and puff, right? Like he could start gassing out a little bit later in this fight if he's not able to get him out of there early. I feel as though that this might be one of those fights where Park kind of pushes him to work but not to the extent of like opening up a finish for either guy and i think that might start to wear on gregory the later that this fight goes and i think that will start to see park to kind of you know get out and ahead of him probably in the second or third round of this fight again very sketchy fight uh I, luke i think you did a tremendous job in terms of breaking this down i don't know if i could do it any better um but i do like the 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 non-violence I, I like that aspect as well uh, i'd be surprised if either guy gets a finish here you know, Park, not really a crazy knockout artist, um, not a really big submission threat. I think the only 
uh, possibility of a finish here is that Gregory Rodriguez submission. But again, recently we haven't really seen him take that type of approach. We'll see if he tries to change it up this weekend, uh, considering the potential flaws that he sees in Jung Young Park's submission game. So uh, I like the overs as well. That's probably the only thing I'll play, you know, in my Hail Mary parlays or something like that. But I do like the park side ever so slightly, like 51%, 40%, uh, 49%. You know, I, I like the park side here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Uh, that was actually the prelim headliner. Uh, and I do want to take this time to remind the 120 live viewers that we currently have in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then give my guy Lou some love as well. I do have his Twitter account uh, linked in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. And then obviously, just as I plug on the Prop New Up show, make sure you guys go check him, uh, John Stargarian C, and Legs the Capper on Club and Sub Podcast every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. Show those guys some love. I love watching that show as well. All right, let's move on to the first fight on the main card. We got Nick Negamariano going up against Ike Villanueva. Cannot believe I'm saying that for a main card UFC fight. But here we are, uh, Luke. Uh, we got minus 230 against uh, minus 234, uh, Nikolai, and plus 210 return on Ike Villanueva. I, you know, I, I'm not playing minus 230 on Mariano. I don't care how uh, big John Kelly gets on Mariano, but, uh, you know, he, he's not going to he's, he's not gonna get me this time, especially at shock. Uh, and then with Ike Villanueva, Strictly seems to be a boxer. It seems like he's going to have a, a solid career as a bare-knuckle boxer because he just, you know, not much of a kicker, no takedowns. Like, the guy just wants to go out there and try to knock your head into the third row. Uh, I think that's... It's live for him to do that here against a guy like Nega Mariano, who gets hit as easily as he does. The striking defense is very poor, in my opinion. I think that Ike, if he can get into his groove, maybe stuff a couple of takedowns, he could actually have success on the feet. Um, but I do think that Nega Mariano does land a couple of takedowns here and maybe does some work from on top. The spot that I like, the violence, right? You, you got to believe that either one of these guys uh, will be looking for the exit door as soon as things get a little bit tough for them. Obviously, it's going to be juiced uh, under one and a half plus 105 right now. Uh, but the under two and a half, obviously, you guys know me. I like those two and a half rather than one and a half. Under two and a half is actually minus 200. I thought it'd be a little bit more juice than that. So I don't mind that line. If you guys do have access to that alternate total, I think that's a great line. And then I know the majority of you probably have access to the fight doesn't go to decision, which is minus 280. Probably a decent parlay spot if that's what, uh, what you guys like to do. Uh, ultimately, I am, or not even ultimately, reluctantly, I'm going to be on the Nega Mariano side just because I usually like to kind of side with the grapplers. And I feel as though he will take a grapple-heavy approach here because... Again, once he starts eating those shots from Ike, I think he's going to be shooting for takedowns. And unless Ike has drastically improved his takedown defense, uh, I think he's going to be taken down relatively easy in this fight. This isn't Vinicius Mojea. You know what I mean? Like, I think that Nikolai uh, Nego Mariano, say what you want about the guy, but I feel as though he'll be able to complete a couple of takedowns in this fight if he truly wants to. Uh, so I'm going to go Nego Mariano inside the distance, which again, not the greatest line either on a prop like that, uh, which is why I'd rather just cover as many bases as possible. Take the under two and a half if you have access to that at minus 200 i think there dare i say some value on that line too uh luke what do you think about this fight yeah i, I guess the off the top the thing I, I would like to note is i don't think either of these guys are ufc caliber personally uh exactly. which definitely makes it interesting if you're just looking at it all right well one guy's minus 231's plus 180 bet villanueva I do think there's some general merit to, to Villanueva if you're taking that that approach too. But to your point, I think just backing general fight violence is the best way to go here. Obviously, both guys defensively liable. You know, Neg's never been knocked out before. But even going and watching, you know, the 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 Safarov and uh, 
his fights with Kamer, I mean, he took a lot of shots and a lot of damage in that fight. His defense is not very good. I've heard some people say, based on those fights, all right, the guy's got iron durability. I'm not really willing to say that, to be completely honest. You know, Safarov historically is actually a combat sambo-based guy. Kimura has, like, landed some flying knees and some explosive stuff. But outside of that, you know, not really, like, the biggest pure, you know, power puncher in terms of his hands in general. And we've seen him, you know, despite not getting finished in those fights, you know, he was dinged, you know, on multiple occasions in, in both of those fights, too. And, you know, that's the one thing with Villa Wave, you know, he's going to let his hands go. However, I do think uh, Neg has physical advantage in this fight you know he's obviously younger at 30 uh ike's like 37 or so in my opinion villadueva is an out of shape middleweight if i'm being polite um i think he should be fighting at 185 i think he's undersized at this weight class um but he is aggressive he's gonna throw some stuff so i think we should get some big exchanges in this fight but to your point as well i think neg does have uh advantages on the ground here i think he's only like a blue belt in jiu-jitsu but even going back to his regional days you know he has hit some like suplexes some throws on guys he has shown some submission competency uh villanueva has been subbed in in quite a few of his losses to boot and has not looked very good in the capacities that we have seen for villanueva on the ground um uh, would I want to lay this uh, type of number on Neg? Absolutely not. Uh, it's another one kind of similar to the uh, other spot with Worthy and Herbert. I don't want to really trust a side just given the stylistics of the, the fight. But one thing I do feel good about is saying that this fight should finish at probably an 80% clip to be conservative. Uh, I think anything minus 300 or below is is a great play for fight doesn't go. If you have uh, access to those uh, two and a half alt totals, I think that's a great look. One and a half, you know, probably hits two, but I think, you know, you could be playing with a tad bit of a fire there, depending on the, the neg approach in wrestling. But uh, the stats, historic stylistics all support this fight finishing. I, I'd be somewhat surprised if this one hits the cards. I like it. I like it. All right, let's keep this train moving along because next up, we got Dwight Grant going up against Francisco Trinaldo. In terms of the odds, we got minus 135 on Trinaldo, plus 115, the return on Dwight Grant. Now, this seems to be a fight that's going to be a classic Trinaldo fight. You know what I mean? Just uh, make his opponent kind of accept the back foot, which is something Dwight Grant seems to do in almost every single fight. And then we'll see Trinaldo go out there and just stalk him pretty much for the entirety of it. Now, unless Dwight Grant can go out there and do something that... 34 opponents have never been able to do against Francisco Trinaldo, which is knock his ass out. I just don't see how Dwight Grant wins this fight. He's not a great minute winner. I thought he lost the Seculich fight, to be honest. I thought that was a, a bit of a robbery, especially, you know, for anybody that was taking the plus. I think it was like plus two something, plus 250-ish on Seculich in that spot. I think they got absolutely robbed in that spot. <clears throat> Dwight Grant may be dangerous for the first round or so. He does have knockout power, don't get me wrong, but I think that Trinaldo has shown, even in his Salikov fight last time around, he did get hit a couple times. He did get rocked and, and stumbled a couple times, but he managed to keep in it and then just go back to the regular Trinaldo thing. Move forward, you know, kind of just intimidate your opponent with big shots from the outside and then just continuously push them up against the cage uh, or push them backwards towards the cage. Um, I also think that Trinaldo, if he wants to, he could secure takedowns in this fight because I do think that's a, a viable path for him in this fight. And I, I'm not really sold on Dwight Grant's takedown defense. Now, I do believe that this is one of the, I believe the second or third fight now for Trinaldo up at 170 pounds. And we obviously saw the, the size difference when he went up against Dwight Grant, but I don't think that's going to come into play too much here. Again, Dwight Grant, in my opinion, first round or bust kind of guy. He gets away with some of these sneaky split decisions like he has over the last couple of fights, but I'd be surprised if he gets that here against a guy like Trinaldo, where again, I think Trinaldo is going to move forward, throw big shots, keep him on the back foot, land the better strikes, 
um, and, and pretty much just dictate the majority of this fight. I see it going. I see it going the full 15 minutes. I like Ronaldo at the slight favorite line that he's currently at. Um, I know he's 43 years old, and everyone's really how the fuck are you betting a 43 year old fighter? It's not like Dwight Grant is this spry chicken either. The guy's 37 years old. He just turned 37, uh, I believe, a month or two ago. So. Um, Dwight Grant is pretty much a finished product. We're not going to see any more improvements from this guy, really. So unless he dramatically changes his game, I think he's going to be in for a little bit of a tough fight. Uh, and again, unless he puts out Ronaldo, which something nobody has ever done before, uh, I'd be surprised that Dwight Grant is going to be the first one to do so. So I like Ronaldo. Uh, I do actually have him in a small little parlay that I put together. I have a one-unit parlay with him, uh, uh, with somebody else later on this card that we'll talk about. But I do like him in this spot, and I think he gets his hand raised via decision. Uh, are you in line with my thinking for this fight? Uh, and then ultimately, who do you think ends up winning this scrap? Uh, I, I actually don't have a bet here, but I am on a bit of an island in the sense that I'm actually going to say that Dwight Grant knocks out uh, Trinaldo here in this spot. And it's ironic because I have been very, very low on Dwight Grant historically, and I've always been a Trinaldo truther uh, per se. I do like Trinaldo's general game. Actually, in terms of this fight, I do think he's the better fighter. But I kind of classified and talked about it on the club and sub pod earlier this week. I feel like it's one of these fights where I think when we're so deep into the forest that we can't see the trees type of spots where we get into the stylistics, you know, he's fought the better guys, uh, you know, he's more proven, he's more battle tested, uh, all that fun stuff. Some stats support him as well. Uh, he should go out here and beat Dwight Grant at a decent clip. I hear that from from a lot of perspectives, and that is usually how I'm looking at these fights 99% of the time. This one is in that that very small different category for me where uh, a guy in Trinaldo, you know, kind of works a tempid based kickboxing uh, based style. Also very similar to, you know, how Dwight Grant fights as well. Like what I will say is like, would you be shocked to see a Dwight Grant, Alan Joban scenario play out where, you know, it's a tempid kickboxing match where, you know, not a lot happens. Some big strikes are thrown in here. It's lower volume. Dwight Grant's able to squeak something. I personally wouldn't, um, and I think it's just important to note that despite, you know, Trinaldo not getting floored uh, pretty much throughout the course of his career, to your point, he has been dropped in his last two fights in a guy who historically has proven to be very, very durable at 43 years old now. I mean, that time is going to come, and from what it seems like in the last two fights, despite fighting good guys, which needs to be noticed, um, I'm sorry, noted. I think this is the time. I, I I think Dwight Grant does clip him. You know, I, like I said, I'm not in love with this game. He's not overtly high output, but he's fast. He's explosive. He's a decent athlete. He hits hard. We saw him have uh, Daniel Rodriguez on the ropes. In my opinion, that fight probably gets stopped 70% of the time. <laughs> if it's not Tyone, that fight probably gets stopped. And he has a W over Daniel Rodriguez, whether you want to agree, disagree. It's just my opinion. Um, so listen. I 100% understand the take on Trinaldo. I know a ton of people that are betting Trinaldo. I understand it. It makes sense. But I guess I'm taking actually more of a, a like a side narrative-based uh, approach to this fight where I, I kind of think that this is the swan song for uh, Trinaldo, unfortunately. In terms of a method for Grant, like, uh, are you leaning a certain side? Like you said, you think he might get the knockout, which currently sits at plus 350. Would you rather take that, or are you just taking the 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 money line here and think that he could possibly win another greasy split decision or something like that? I'm not going to bet this for you. Oh, yeah, not touching it. Okay. It's <laughs> no, more so uh, just um, a, a thought and a, and a stance it, that you're taking, not an actual go to the betting window. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really don't want to uh, back either guy with my money at this point, personally. There we go. 
All right, let's keep the train moving along. We got four fights left. Next up, we got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres going up against Sungwoo Choi. Uh, and we got minus 265 on Choi, plus 245 on Alex Caceres. Luke, I'll let you kick this one off. Obviously, huge overcorrection, in my opinion, for the Choi side of things, especially considering what his betting line has been over the last couple of fights. Goes up against uh, a veteran, tough veteran in Bruce Leroy here. Uh, who do you think takes the, takes the dub here? Yeah, this is interesting. Honestly, out of all of the big favorites on the fight, uh, of, or the fight card, I should say, I think Caceres is actually most live to pull an upset here and weasel something. Um, and I've actually liked Choi over the years. Uh, I think he is a guy who's traditionally pretty underrated. But to your point, I do think there is some general market overcorrection here. Obviously, you know, he's a pretty big guy for the weight class. Hits pretty hard, had some pretty tough stylistic matchups in his uh, first couple fights with Evloev uh, and Tucker. I can see that 100%. But really digging back into the stylistics of this fight and digging into the numbers, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, Caceres has only been, I think, like knocked out once in 30 pro fights. He defends distance strikes at 69%. I think he lands uh, four and a half significant strikes per minute at like a 50% clip. So he's pretty consistent to be active. Um, moves pretty well, obviously pretty durable historically, uh, in choice, at least in terms of the general line, you know, his KO prop is like 25%. So I do still favor Choi based on his ability to, to go forward, probably when on optics, maybe land the bigger shots. But once again, my take is also in relation to the price tag here. You know, we're talking about a minus three fifty favorite and, you know, with a comeback on Caceres or whatever, you know, being like plus plus 270 or whatever the case is. Um, I think he has some general weaselness potential to, to make this fight very, very close if he does not get knocked out. Like I said, he's pretty uh, consistent to, to be active. You know, choice striking defense isn't very good. Uh, historically, when you look at Caceres in terms of how he's getting beat, he's getting beat on the map by better submission grapplers where, you know, that traditionally just is not the game uh, for Sung Woo Choi. You know, we did see him have some wrestling success against the law, but no pro wins via submission. He just hasn't really shown much offensive uh, grappling upside either. Um, once again, on the Casera side, it's also hard to anticipate. He shoots a ton of takedowns, has a ton of success either. So once again, the confidence interval here isn't very large. My take is more so just, I, I think the line's wide. I can't get past like Choi 186 minus 200. I, I can't really get beyond that here. So if Caceres kind of gets to that, you know, plus 300, I think him even by decision is like plus 450. Uh, I think it's a decent poke for this fight because I do think he has aspects of his game that if he does stay conscious, uh, he can make this competitive fight. Uh, not obviously a direct comparison in terms of stylistics, but to Nameev uh, uh, and Roberts last week. Obviously, you know, a lot of people thought Nameev won the fight. I did as well. But the guy also fights in a way that makes fights close. There's optics that also come into this as well. If a guy's going to throw a lot of strikes too, make it greasy, close, competitive, would you be shocked if someone gives it the other way, even if you thought the person lost? Eh, maybe not necessarily, especially if Caceres is avoiding those big power shots historically that come from choice. So from a value-based perspective, uh, I think uh, Caceres is actually live uh, to pull the upset here. If you want to take a sprinkle, I think it's decision line plus 450. Uh, is worth, you know, maybe a half a unit or something. 
yeah, it seems like there is a bit of buyback coming in on that Choi line now, which is why, you know, we're seeing about plus 225, plus 240-ish on the Casera side of things. And I, I do agree with you in the fact that I do think that the line is wide. Um, I do, however, end up on the Choi side. I do believe that he'll be the one getting the better of the striking exchanges. He might get slightly outvolumed, but I think the more impactful shots that are going to be coming from his side will probably allow him to kind of to, to, to get that dub. Does he finish Caceres? I'm not 100% sure. I think that this goes probably 15 minutes. Uh, and but even with that in mind, I do think that Troy will probably get his hand raised. Again, once it goes to the judges' scorecards, it could look close. It, it could look a lot closer than minus 290 Choi, uh, which is why I'll have my reservations about you know putting him in into parlays and stuff. But I do like him to win this fight. No official plays on him. Uh, I wish his decision line was a little bit better. I think it's at plus 100 right now. You know, maybe plus 150, plus 175, I would have been more keen to pull the trigger there. But, uh, you know, I, I do think he wins this fight at a pretty decent clip. But again, minus 290 is just a little bit too wide for me. I will say this about Caceres' four-fight winning streak that he's currently on. Whatever, you know, type of level of competition, right? I did back him against uh, Chase Super. Surprised to get him at plus money in this spot or in that spot. Uh, but I got to say, out of those last four fights, his toughest opponent was probably Steven Peterson, which is the fight that kicked off this four-fight winning streak. And I, I thought Peterson won that fight, to be honest, right? That was another very close fight. But that just goes to show that Alex Caceres could make fights close and possibly have the judges sway his way as well. So that's something that we definitely need to worry about, especially when we're paying the chalk here on a guy like Sungwoo Choi, who is still really trying to you know, carve out his spot in the UFC. Obviously, he had a rough run against Ivluev and Gavin Tucker earlier in his career. But now with that win over Yusuf Zalal, um, and now hopefully parlaying that into a win here against Caceres, people will start to give him more respect. But let's 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 temper it a little bit. Minus two ninety is getting a little bit crazy uh, against a veteran like Bruce Leroy, Bruce Leroy, who honestly I think if people kind of just not even wiki cap this fight, if they just looked at the odds, they'd be like, oh, Caceres is you know washed up. He's been in the UFC for too long. There's no way he beats a, a new talent like Sungwoo Choi. But then little do they know he's actually on a four fight winning streak. So it's like things like that we need to take into consideration. Uh, like again, with that said, uh, I'm still going to go Sungwoo Choi, Sungwoo Choi by decision. Uh, and I'll probably throw him into a couple for fun parlays as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Jessica Rose Clark going up against Jocelyn Edwards. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 160-ish for Clark, plus 140-ish return on Jocelyn Edwards. Uh, intriguing fight. I didn't uh, initially when the fight was announced. I thought it'd be better uh, be betting the Jocelyn Edwards side of things because I was quite impressed with her in her UFC debut where she was able to pick up a win over Yunnan Wu, uh, and then in her next fight gets completely controlled by Carol Hosa for about eleven and a half minutes. Uh, really not being able to show as much offensive. Uh, work off of her back like she did in the Yunnan Wu fight compared to what she showed in the Carol Hosa fight. Um, I think she's going to be dealing with a grapple-heavy approach once again here from Jessica Rose Clark. You know, by all indications, it seems like, you know, working over at AKA, working over at uh, with DC and all that stuff, it seems like he, she wants to take a grapple-heavy approach and not to mention she's really getting comfortable up at 135 pounds now with that strength and conditioning program that she's on. You can definitely see it with her physique. She's in much better shape than when she originally came into the UFC. Not to mention, she had a very small stint down there at 125 pounds didn't really work out for her now she's accepting the fact that she's a 135er and really getting her body ready to be at that weight class i feel as though she's gonna woman handle jocelyn edwards if they start to tie up here i do think she'll be able to get her to the ground and i do think she'll be able to do work my concern is 
there could possibly be a women's arm bar from guard type of situation here because Jocelyn Edwards at times could be offensive uh, off of her back. Again, we didn't see it much in that Carol Hosa fight, but Carol Hosa, you know, not too bad on the ground herself. Uh, Jessica Rose Clark, we still need to really see it pan out, right? We can't just say just off the Sarah Alpar fight that she's this new fighter all of a sudden. Uh, obviously, considering what we know about Sarah Alpar at this point in time, but considering the the strength advantage I expect Rose Clark to have in this fight, I think she's going to ground this fight, and I think she's going to grind her out. Um, I did actually end up parlaying her in that one unit play with Francisco Trinaldo. I think it was plus one ninety one that I got on that parlay. Again, one unit stab there. I like both sides here. Small plus money, or, or sorry, um, uh, uh, moderate favorites or or slight favorites that I just probably together for some plus money there. But I do like Clark to win this fight, probably by decision. You could probably go with overs in this fight as well, um, because uh, I don't think either woman will finish one another. Although, like I said a little bit earlier armbar from guard is a slight possibility considering some of the offensive nature that we've seen from uh from uh edwards off of her back i'm just hoping that as soon as clark grounds this fight she passes to half guard she she just gets out of that guard immediately so she could be a little bit safer so i like the clark side here um how are you feeling about this one luke yeah i think it's actually a pretty good bounce back spot for clark historically i actually haven't been the biggest supporter of her but i did a pretty deep dive back into her in this uh or i should say in prep for this fight uh you know even in her losses to jessica I and panny kianset i think hindsight really have not aged that poorly i think we can all say that jessica I actually is a much better fighter than she was uh you know previously at 135 when she was in a really bad run you know she's shown some good things at 125 panny kianset's you know a fringe top 15 striker uber high output she had success in both of those fights uh, to boot and obviously had success uh, in terms of the wrestling and just general striking in her first two fights against PVZ and Rawlings and then coming into it uh, against Alpar. You know, Alpar, obviously wrestling background was kind of diving on legs. That was her advantage. She was able to get uh, Clark down a few times, but you could just tell to your point, you know, the physicality difference in that fight was evident. Uh, even when she was taken down, she was able to pop up. She was able to reverse position. She did some really nasty work in the clinch, was able to get on top at points in that fight, uh, beat her up pretty good, and then even beat her up at space, uh, to boot. I kind of think, uh, Jessica Rose Clark has turned a bit of a corner, uh, in my opinion, uh, obviously comes from that kickboxing background. She's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, you know, hasn't been overtly consistent to wrestle. But what I will say, you know, in those first two fights for her against Rawlings and PBC, you know, wrestling was a component of her winning that fight. Uh, and then touching, you know, back on the Alpar fight again, we know where she wasn't necessarily offensively initiating the takedowns just based on the stylistic mashup. She handled that fine against Alpar and actually looked pretty good from top and in those transitions as well. And kind of how that translates to Edwards, you know, Edwards, she's a long girl. She's going to throw, uh, you know, a lot of uh, strikes per se, but I just don't think she's technical <laughs> in any stretch of the imagination. She leaves her head straight on the center line. You know, she's kind of just reliant on to, to bully girls based on volume and size of a lower level. I don't think she can do that with Clark on the feet. I think Clark's much more technical. Her volume's actually pretty consistent, pretty reliable as well. Uh, despite being at a size disadvantage, I think she is the better striker in this fight. You touched on the ground. Uh, you know, it's purple belt versus white belt on paper. What we've seen from Edwards on bottom, it hasn't been good. She did attempt that arm bar against uh, Yanan and, you know, stuck her in that for four minutes. I more so attribute that to Yanan just 
not being a good grappler and not like, knowing if I how don't to, move, I won't get subbed. <laughs> essentially, yeah. And not and not knowing how to get out of the position more than anything. If not, then she probably actually would have lost the round in many scenarios. Uh if Yanan could have <laughs> figured out how to get out of that armbar. So I honestly I, I guess I, I slightly pivot from you from like the uh, guard armbar scenario. I'd be shocked if she could submit Jessica Rose Clark. I think Jessica Rose Clark uh can absolutely beat her up pretty bad on the ground. I think she is live for a submission. I think the levels actually on the ground here uh, are pretty, pretty evident. Uh, I think it's a good spot for, her. Um, you know, I'm not saying she, you know, she's minus 300 or so. No, uh, just because there's general volume based considerations for Edwards. It is, you know, lower to moderate level WMMA. Uh, I hear that, but Rose Clark, much more proven, much more battle tested in the best part of her career, actually coming off of, uh, you know, being injury free for like, you know, the last six to nine months or so for like the first time in the last five years uh, of her entire career. So uh, I think it's a decent bounce back spot uh, for her. And I was down to back the better fighter. So I actually laid Clark at uh, minus 125. I like it. Fun fact about Jocelyn Edwards. She did actually fight Sarah Alpar as well on the yellow face scene for the vacant bantamweight title. She came up short via split decision, but that was one of those fights where Alpar continuously landed takedowns, but just could not control the top long enough uh, to, you know, allow Edwards to get back to her feet, do some damage of her own, and then get another takedown, which is why I believe it was like control against damage. The judges seem to go with control more so there with Alpar landing as many takedowns as she did in that fight. All right, let's move on to the co-main event. We got Grant Dawson coming in at heavy chalk at minus 450, going up against Rick Glenn. I am not calling him Ricky. You're not forcing me to call him Ricky. We're not doing that like Tony Martin. We're not, I'm not calling him Anthony Rocco Martin. He's he's Tony Martin, just like Rick Glenn is Rick Glenn. We're gonna go uh plus 400 for him as well. So uh I believe I'm actually gonna kick it off to you, uh Luke. How do you uh how do you see this fight going down? Do you think Dawson is worth the minus 450 line that he's currently at? Yeah, I think probably him about that 80% mark is is about accurate. Obviously, really strong wrestler out of that crowd space camp, uh, brown belt in jiu-jitsu. You know, that's just been the credence for him uh, throughout his regional career. That's been the credence for him in the UFC. Uh, he's very physically strong for the division. Obviously, we know he's up at 155 now, but he was a pretty massive 145, so I don't think he's undersized. Uh, even being at 155 now, uh, we've seen Rick Glenn have some struggles in the past in terms of the wrestling and grappling and being on bottom. He does stuff takedowns at 66%, which needs to be noted. But I do think Grant Dawson is one of the best wrestlers that he's fought to date. I know I've I've I heard some like kind of contrarian takes in terms of the Glenn side. You know, oh well, look at the Bermudez fight. He was able to pop up a bunch of times. Bermudez, strong wrestler. But if you're actually familiar with Dennis Bermudez historically. Bermudez has actually had a pretty bad control rate uh, in terms of his general number of takedowns. He's landed. He's kind of more of your, your up down mat return type of guy. I think there's some context there that needs to be noted. Um, so I, I think uh, uh, Dawson should be able to get this fight down without much overall uh, issue, to be honest. Uh, and I just like him to kind of pass land some strikes positionally control, probably threaten some stuff, but I am more so of the opinion that Glenn, actually is tough enough to survive the ground with Dawson uh, and Dawson more. So just wins a dominant base decision. You know, Glenn is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu as well. I think his last sub loss came back in like 2014. So it's been a second since he has been submitted. I wouldn't be shocked by, uh, you know, a finish from, from Dawson, especially with the amount of ground time. I think he's going to be able to get uh, in this fight, but uh, Glenn does move reasonably decently well uh, on bottom at space. 
is where I still have some issues with Dawson. You know, his striking defense is still pretty shaky. He's developing as an overall striker. However, on the other side, Rick Glenn is, is not exactly, you know, your, your Giga Chikotsky glory kickboxer uh, archetype either. So I don't think he really brings that, that skill set and that style to give uh, Dawson much issues when this fight is on the feet, even though I think that the, the general amount of time that this fight will be on the feet is limited because I think like 80% of Grant Dawson fights is spent in the grappling over a decent sample size now in the UFC. So I do think Dawson is actually the general safest play on the card. I think he's a decent parlay piece. Um, but I actually do think his decision line, you know, around that plus 150 mark is uh, interesting. Yeah, I was really trying to make a case for Rick Glenn in my head in terms of playing him at this line, especially at plus 400. But God damn, it's really tough to look past the the game that Grant Dawson brings to the table here. Like I tried giving him a ship in the past in terms of having questionable cardio. Seems to have shorn that up, uh, especially now going up a weight class as well. It doesn't seem like the, the weight cut is going to be affecting him as much. It's more so to see how he's going to deal with guys that are much stronger than him at this 155-pound weight class. Luckily for him, Rick Glenn is not one of those guys who he's going to have to really worry about in terms of that i do think he'll be able to ground this fight like you said and uh i do think he'll be able to work him i just don't know if he'll be able to get that submission or tko victory either uh like you touched on rick Glenn's last submission loss came in 2014 against then surging uh featherweight mr lance palmer uh but again rick Glenn has improved tremendously since that um, that fight but not to the extent that i think he's going to be able to take out uh rising prospect here in grant dawson so yeah i think uh james krauss's team ends up the night two and one with grant dawson bringing home the win uh and david onama you know probably getting knocked out in his fight over there and jeff molina hopefully getting a performance bonus earlier in the in the night uh or during the day uh, but I do like uh, Grant Dawson in the spot. I do think he lands takedowns. Uh, striking game. Uh, last thing I'll say about it in a striking game, very, uh, very much still in progress, still in development, right? He seems to be uh, kind of just pot shotting from the outside, weird angles, awkward angles, no real like technical strikes. It's more so just to throw something out there to be active and then eventually maybe chain a, a takedown behind it or something like that. Uh, so I'd like to see him improve that even more. But to this point, it's working out for him. So we'll see how long he's able to go out there and, and continue with that uh, before he's forced to make improvements in his striking game so that he can get his wrestling game going as well. But yeah, glad we're on the same side there. And I do like the uh, decision prop as well. All right, main event time. Shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe as well, and then show my guy Luke some love as well. Uh, follow him on Twitter at SWR underscore betting. Obviously, the link to his Twitter page is in the description below, so you guys can click that and hit that follow as well. And then obviously, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, him, John Stargarian from the Propping You Up show, uh, Legs the Capper, and C, who just somehow sometimes decides to show up and sometimes he doesn't uh always provide great insight on these cards for us in the middle of the week again wednesday 10 p.m eastern make sure you guys go check them out on the club and sub channel all right luke main event time uh i was really hoping all week we we're gonna get some meathead banter between these guys i thought they were gonna accuse each other of steroids or say all this other bullshit but the whole thing has been about what fucking weight is this fight taking place at right at the beginning of the week it was supposed to be middleweight couple of days ago, it was supposed to be 195. And then late last night, they say 205. So it really leads you to believe that Costa probably just wasn't really preparing for this to the best of his abilities, right? There's been a lot of out of cage uh, circumstances regarding him, notably saying that he wants to get paid more. Uh, and I think that he's kind of looking for an out from this UFC contract. 
to just maybe sign with Bellator, maybe sign with PFL or something like that. I truly think that is the reason as to why he's just not giving a fuck this week. And to be so blatant about it as well, right? Like they're just joking about it on Instagram videos, Twitter videos, and all that type of shit. Like he's literally showing no remorse for just spitting at the contract that he, that he originally signed and then spitting at the next contract, which was at 195 pounds. And then they had to sign a third contract saying that this fight was taking place at 205 pounds. So I don't think that will have much bearing on how this fight even plays out. I think it still plays out the same way it does uh, how I broke it down earlier in the week when I thought the fight was taking place at 185 pounds. Um, you know, I think that Vittori will be able to endure the the striking of Paulo Costa early here, and then I think he'll start to take over later in this fight. I, I, I went down this little rabbit hole of kind of like nitpicking Paulo Costa's rise to his middleweight title fight, and... It's a little just a little shaky let's be honest right look like let's let's just look at some of these names since coming into the ufc goes out there and beats a gareth mclennan a minute and 20 second knockout uh oluwale bamboshi if you guys remember bang bus uh he goes out there and knocks him out in in a minute johnny Hendricks, 2017 middleweight johnny Hendricks, finishes him uh six minutes into that fight uriah hall having good success with his jab in that fight really touching up Paulo Costa, but then obviously, you know, there's only so long that Uriah Hall can stand up against a heavy puncher like Paulo Costa. Uh, and then the UL Romero fight, very sketchy fight, possibly could have gone either way. Um, but that fight really showed us a lot, especially when we're talking about Paulo Costa having to go deep into fights. I feel as though he really only has two rounds to win this fight because after that, I think he's going to be the one giving up that front foot. I think Vittori will be the one moving forward. That was kind of like my first question when I started breaking down this fight and doing the research was like, who's going to concede that front foot? Because more often than not, they're the ones moving forward. They're the one kind of pushing the pressure and just like kind of staying in their opponent face. But it showed just in that UL Romero fight that Paulo Costa, once that wind is gone from him, he more than likely is the one that's going to be taking the back step. And Vittori, his last three fights, all 25-minute decisions, has gone the full 25 minutes numerous times now, has shown that he can go the full 25 if he needs to i think it was just the jack hermanson fight where he took like one round off because he was already up like two nothing or three nothing but then managed to put the pace back on him in rounds four and five as well um here man i i just think he i think he eats everything costa uh throws at him you know vittori's never been knocked out uh and then after that i think that costa is going to start to get drowned by maybe some takedowns the pressure and again technically speaking costa is the better striker better boxer much more clean and crisp with his techniques whereas vittori is more so meatheadish in his approach wild winging hooks just to kind of try to push his opponents back and then get his clinching and his grappling going i think that's what we're going to see probably in the third or fourth round here so uh, i do have a play with with uh marvin vittori he's probably my second most confident spot on the card i got him and tabitha reached parlayed at two units um for i believe about plus 120 plus 125 um but I really like him in the spot. I think if he survives early, he goes out there and finishes this fight probably round three or four. I do also have a play on the under four and a half at minus 128 because I think that no matter who wins this fight, more than likely it's going to be a finish. It also obviously covers, uh, it's a you know soft hedge on uh, the possibility of Costa knocking him out early in this fight. But I do think uh, rounds three, four, and five are very live for Marvin Vittorian. Shout out to my guys over there at Cool Bet. I did lock down, uh, I took a little sprinkle on all three of those round props. I think it was like, uh, plus 1750 round three, plus 2500 round four, plus 3000 round five. Gotta take some shots on that because I think they're going to be very live here. Um, so yeah, I got Marvin Vittori, Marvin Vittori late, and the under four and a half, I think, is not too bad of a line either. What's your what's your approach for this fight? Do you like that? Uh, do you like that approach for this, or do you think that Costa is a little bit more live? And also, uh, let me know what you think in terms of the the weight thing, right? Do you think it it favors Costa? Do you think it doesn't matter at all? What, what's your what's your read on that? Well, I guess touching on the weight thing real quick, 
as someone who's betting Vittori here, I would much rather prefer that he had to try to cut to one day. Yeah. Uh, sure. Personally. Uh, but to your point, I don't think it takes, uh, you know, too much credence or too much bearing here, in my opinion, to your, and, and a lot of the things you touched on that to me, it just says the guy really didn't take this fight seriously in whatever capacity that, uh, you know, he did take it. The fact that, it got shut down at 195 and that's got to be pushed to 205 now just shows that I don't think the guy really gives a shit for, for whatever, yeah. whatever reason that is. I don't know. I guess he said at some point that he was going to talk about it after the fight. We'll see what, what a beautiful reason he comes up with afterwards. Uh, at least in terms of the matchup, you pretty much hit every single point that I wanted to hit. So I don't <laughs> want to uh, parrot exactly what you're saying. Uh, yeah. But I just do want to touch on a couple fights for Costa that I thought were interesting. Going back to that Johnny Hendricks fight that you touched on as well. Uh, you know, fighting on more so over the hill, Johnny Hendricks, a 185 Johnny Hendricks, a guy who was known uh, to, you know, be at 170 pounds throughout the course of his career. Johnny didn't throw much in that fight, but when he did, Johnny landed at a 50% clip uh, on Paula Costa. You touched on, you know, Uriah Hall obviously really got off on that jab early. Hurt Costa really bad in that fight, too. Uh, in my opinion, I'm uh, more so on the side that actually I do think Yoel Romero uh, won the fight. Uh, I don't think it was a robbery. I don't, nothing like that. It really comes down to that second round, how you scored. Super close fight, nonetheless. But uh, I do kind of think. Uh, Yoel won that fight. Nonetheless, we saw some, you know, general slowdowns from him in those extended fights, uh, all things considered. And then he fought Izzy and, you know, just really completely altered his general game, uh, which which is what brought him to the dance. So I think it's interesting in that capacity. You hit on all the main points. Vittori's cardio is more proven over 25. He's even more proven over 15 minutes to be a consistent minute winner in terms of winning decisions. I think his general defense and durability is better. I do think he does have a sneaky path on the ground here. I don't necessarily think it's early. Costa does stuff at 80% as a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Has fought some good wrestlers in the past, but to your point, that general attritional uh, based work that Vittori does in terms of his general pace, a uh, seeing cost is slow. I do think that can open up general wrestling and grappling based sequences. And, you know, when we hit rounds three, four, five, potentially, if it does get there, Vittori's a brown belt in jujitsu as well. In my opinion, he's always been actually a pretty underrated uh, wrestler grappler because he's kind of known for his more brooding boxing uh, based style. But the guy can grapple, you know, uh, out at King's MMA to that brown belt too. So I, I do think, you know, he has a potential path there on the ground. Uh, you know, if this was a 15 minute fight, you know, would I maybe have the exact take I do on Vittori? Maybe not. But the fact that this is a 25 minute main event over a guy, as you touched on, who's more proven, who can win minutes over 25 minutes, uh, cardio is proven durability is proven his striking his general output is proven his durability is proven has a perceived wrestling and grappling edge in this fight should it go later i jumped on vittoria at minus 140 i think it's a steal i think he should be closer kind of that 65 66 uh percent mark i don't want to discredit costa to your point fast explosive hits hard physical specimen gets in your guys's face uh gets in guys's faces i should say but it's kind of in that five to ten minute window uh, where his primary win equity comes outside of that. We're kind of in no man's land with Costa. So in a 25 minute fight, I don't think that's something that can be, uh, you know, just, just tossed out of the window. So I, I guess I wouldn't really understand why anyone would look to back uh, Costa's money line. I just don't think there's much evidentiary basis that he can win uh, a 25 minute uh, fight over Vittori. Let's not forget uh, Bohachinia's early Ultimate Fighter uh, run as well, where he did take an El Tomarcio Alexandre, who, again, 
very mediocre level fighter in my opinion. Uh, but Costa, in my opinion, was benefiting from favorable matchups, right? Guys that he can go out there and break and kind of intimidate. And that's exactly what he did. You know, other than the UL Romero fight, like which me and you have already alluded to, could have gone either way in that fight. And then Israel Adesanya, who was not going to be broken by that man either, did absolute work on him. I'm not expecting Israel Adesanya type striking here from Vittori, but I think his meathead approach, his durability will be enough to be able to survive early against Paula or Apollo and then uh, go out there and... Uh, change him into Bellachinia. I think he's going to go over there to Bellator and uh, start making some money over there. I, I honestly really think that, Luke. I really think he wants out of the UFC. I think he wants to go out there and try to make some more money elsewhere. You know, uh, there there's really no excuse for having the type of attitude that he's had all week. All right. Uh, that is a wrap on the breakdowns here. We'll finish this off with giving you guys our most confident plays or our lock of the night play. Personally, I, I've chosen to go with a, a little bit more of a skeptical approach for this card. No lock of the night play for me here, uh, but I, my most confident play I put two units on is a parlay of Marvin Vittori and uh, Tabitha Ricci. I do have a uh, play on the under four and a half in the main event as well, just as a little bit of an insurance, as I do believe that Vittori will finish him. But in case Costa does finish him, I like that minus 128 line as well because I think it should be a little bit wider considering the two guys that we have here, considering the lead up to this fight, considering all the bad blood, all that type of shit. I'd be surprised if we don't get a finish in this fight. Completely different compared to uh, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker last week who I just believe, or a couple weeks ago, who just had way too much respect for each other. I don't think these guys respect each other here. I think we'll see a finish uh, going down in this fight. Luke, uh, what's your most confident play uh, for the card tomorrow? night or tomorrow evening or afternoon sorry <laughs> yeah traditionally i'm actually not a big parlay guy but actually my most confident play this week is a parlay it is a neg and villadueva fight doesn't go the distance and uh worthy and herbert fight doesn't go the distance i got three units on that at minus 113 uh like i said i and just running through the breakdown i'd be somewhat shocked if if, if either fight really hits the cards if it does it kind of comp falls into the you can't predict this you know johnny walker type of Tiago <laughs> santos category uh so i was willing to put both of those together i think both fights uh and both guys have uh finishing uh upside in both fights uh both have defensive issues uh the stats support it the historic support it the st uh general style matchups support it uh to give me violence on that right around evens putting those together i think is an excellent play for this card awesome I love it. I love it. Good luck to you on that play. Uh, I'll wrap this up very shortly, but I do want to give you the, the the spot here, the platform here to say anything you want to uh, want on the back end, anything you want to plug, anybody you want to shout out. The floor is yours, my man. Uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter, guys. SWR underscore betting. Uh, I like to have a little fun on there. Y'all, if you, if you, uh, the few y'all that have been following me, you know, I like to post my gifts, my videos. I love uh, the, little... the touch the button one, like just looking over <laughs> and trying to touch the button. One of my yeah. favorites. Yeah. You know, obviously I, I take this whole like betting base game seriously, but I try to have a little fun on there. You know, I think uh, a lot of us in this game get a little, too, get a little too wrapped up in some stuff sometimes. And, and we see people getting a little too serious. So I like to have some fun on there. So shoot me a follow guys uh, over on Twitter, SWR underscore betting. Uh, if you guys are interested in my general bets, content breakdowns, podcasts, uh, I put all that up on my Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash SWR betting as a uh, lock touched on. I am on the club and some podcast every Wednesday night on YouTube at 10 PM Eastern myself and a round table of my boys uh, are breaking down these cards every single week as well. Uh, I guess one more cheap plug. I do do the uh, contender series uh, 
content and bets over there at dailyfanmma.com for Brett Apley. Uh, we got two weeks left on there. It's only like seven bucks a card. We are coming off of, I think, like, I think nine for 10 on the last two or three weeks on bets, uh, 2-0 on prize picks too. So uh, if you guys are interested in contender series-based content, check that out. But uh, yeah, dude, thanks for having me on. It's been a fun show. No worries. Shout out Brett Apley, uh, probably one of the best guys in the game as well. One of the OGs as well. I owe a lot to that guy for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, Luke, thank you. I really appreciate you taking out this time on this Friday evening to break down this card. I do want to remind you guys, I kind of slipped up during the show as well. 1 p.m. Eastern start time tomorrow for the for the prelims. Very early card tomorrow, which I love. You know, I mean, the fights will sh should be wrapped up by 7 or 8 o'clock tomorrow, so you have the evening to do whatever you want, something that us East Coasters are not used to. I know those West Coasters usually have a uh, early finish time for their fights, but uh, luckily we're the ones this time around, so hopefully we can do something tomorrow night. Um, 1 p.m. Eastern start time. I'm still trying to figure out what time I want to do the fight day live chat. Probably 10 or 11 a.m. tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow morning, sorry. Uh, so make sure you guys come out, hang out with your boy, taking all questions, comments, and concerns so you can make your last-minute bets for the card. So I'll see you guys tomorrow as well. Luke, once again, appreciate you coming on. Shout-out to everybody that's in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Make sure you guys follow my guy Luke on Twitter as well. Link is in the description below for his Twitter account. And then obviously check out Club and Sub Podcast every Wednesday, 10 p.m. Eastern with him, John from my Propping You Up show, uh, Legs the Capper, as well as C. All right, good luck to everybody on your bets tomorrow. And war... Marvin Vittori, baby, let's fucking go. <laughs>